Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hai Chen Buyer, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. All right, guys, it's the end of August, which means it is time for another millennial movie review. And we decided to go with August is always a weird month with movies. You, It's mostly just kind of the end of summer affair and, you know, there are hit or misses and stuff. But a big hit this month was the new comedy horror movie, Ready or Not. So Ready or Not is from directors Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett. And the writers are Guy Butthick and Ryan Murphy. Oh, wait, that Ryan Murphy? The oh. Ryan Murphy of Glee? That would make a no. lot of sense if no, it were a different Ryan. Murphy. Okay, I just checked his IMDb. Wait, that's is... weird. Shouldn't he be like Ryan P. Murphy or Ryan K. Murphy? Like usually that's a thing. I, I know. Guess that's but yeah, so uh, uh, a man named Ryan Murphy who is not the Ryan Murphy um, from this group of men, um, and the movie is about the lovely bride Grace, played by the exceptional Samara Weaving, and she is marrying into an eccentric and wealthy family who has a game dominion, and that is how they have um, gotten their wealth, as well as some maybe other sinister means. Um, But quickly, her wedding night takes a turn for the worse when the new family force her to take part in a terrifying game of hide and seek. So the movie stars, as I said, Samara Weaving, who is a phenomenal Australian actress. She is wonderful. I already want to see her in 10 more things. And it also stars Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, Henry Sersney, Andy McDowell, uh, Nikki Guarini, and several more. So we're going to be chatting about this movie today and splitting it up into our reactions, getting into the plot, theme, and characters, and then finally giving the movie our rating. So Willoughby. Hi. I'm going to start with you because, uh, and your reaction to this movie, because as, as we well know at this point, H.E. and I have become genuine horror fans, and we saw this movie with much enthusiasm, um, and we convinced you to see it and participate in this review with us. So, Willoughby, tell me your thoughts on Ready or Not. Well, I walked into a nearly empty theater last night, and I thought, well... It's a Thursday on a weekday, a couple weeks after the movie is out. So I'm expect I'm expecting this to be a little empty. Um, and then I was filled with a ton of good movie. It filled the space that was lacking of an audience. Um, it was good. Uh, what can I say about Ready or Not? Samara Weaving is really good. Um, a real Margot Robbie type. Uh, I didn't even realize she was Australian, but that they're like cut from the same cloth there. She's also um, the niece, she, I think, of Hugo Weaving. Of the oh, of of the acting weaving. Of the acting weavings. She is the, the niece weaving of dynasty. Hero Hugo, the the, the, weaving, the weaving dominion. The weaving, the weaving dominion. dominion. Um, she marries a real Jared Kushner type, I believe. Ht uh, coined him last week, uh, trying to convince me to see the movie. Um, so yeah, I don't really like horror, but I have seen good horror films such as like Cabin in the Woods and Get Out, 
And I feel like the this movie kind of takes elements from both and kind of mixes it into its own sort of its own blender that comes out with a brand new drink um, with a lot of blood. This is a very bloody movie. Um, and like it was OK, so like it was good. It was well made, but it's not for me, uh. I think. And I think and I, I don't want to do, dismiss the movie at all. Um, it was technically very good, and the acting was great. The like the the dialogue was was funny. The like the um the whole plot, everything was like like I, I could from an like artist subjective, but from an objective point of view, I could see why people who are horror fans would love this movie, would really appreciate it. There's a lot of like elements that are associated, you know, that call back to classic horror film. It's it has a lot of like the genre like touchstones like it's all very like a classic horror film that like works today sort of deal um but i don't think i'm gonna see this again um and that's okay because i'm not a horror fan and like this is a very specific film like i'd say like get out and even cabin in the in the woods and some other like i guess i would say broader horror films can like reach out to people who are not horror film horror fan films but still like give the horror fans what they want if that makes any sense Mm. like but i think but like i don't it's hard to explain because i'm like this isn't going to turn me into a horror fan if that makes any sense yeah like i don't i don't see like i'm not going to go out and and start watching like the texas chain saw massacre films or like all the all the other like ones I can't name right now. Um, but like as a film, as, as a, as a motion picture, as a, you know, an hour and a half beginning to end like piece of cinema, it was good. I liked it. Um, but as a horror genre, as part of the horror genre, it's not for me. Hmm. Like, I can appreciate I can I can appreciate what it's doing, but I can also say that was good, and I don't have to see it again. You know, I'm actually kind of um, sad that you didn't get to see it with an audience because I feel like the audience really elevates the funnier moments of this movie and makes it much more enjoyable to watch because it's just a. Uh, I feel like it is a horror movie. Um, and like sits firmly in that genre, but I feel like it's even more of a comedy than a horror movie in a lot of ways. Um, but I can see what also you're saying about how it takes specifically like takes to the horror genre and like approaches that with a comedy um, perspective versus like going comedy first and then horror second. If that makes sense. Kind of. Um, I I I agree, I agree that if I saw this with a full theater, I think. I think the jokes would land more, even though I was laughing at the parts where I think I was supposed to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's, it worked on that level. Like I wouldn't say it wasn't funny. It was definitely very funny. Um, and like the, all the family dynamics were really good. And I think that it was all very like, you know, like I could appreciate what it's doing, but um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lack of audience may have been, may have been a detriment to my viewing experience, which is, you know, if I had seen this by myself in my own apartment, it's, it would be the, it would have been the same reaction, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but like when I saw I saw Get Out in a packed theater, yeah, and that was definitely a much more enjoyable experience, even though I'm not a horror fan. Yeah. So I think you're right that an, an audience would have definitely helped. Um, but I also think that almost gave me the ability to look at it a, a little bit more like further away, mm-hmm. like, and not to say I don't want to be engrossed by it because I was definitely like, like eh, gross, mm-hmm. uh, engrossed by. It. Like I was definitely like paying attention the entire time and watching, you know, I wanted to make sure that uh, Grace like kept moving and kept going and like, you know, kept, you know, surviving. And like, I was definitely on her side. I wasn't like, I want her to die. Like I was not like that at all. Like I definitely was like when she was in peril, so was I, I was like, Oh gosh. Um, And like, yeah, no, like it definitely like affected me in all the right places. But I think that it just, like, I'm not, I'm fundamentally not a horror fan. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, this wall between me and the movie that I just can't cross. That I just, there's no door for me to open. Um, Which is fine. Because I could could look at it from, like, a technical perspective. Which is what I sort of look at films anyway. Like, as well as the emotional side. So, like, the cinematography was really good. The, The final shot is, like, gorgeous. And, like, there's a lot of great cinematography in the film. And like the the dialogue and all that is like as be- as as I think as as good as it can be, um, and there were like little moments there where I really like I really appreciated Adam Brody's um, performance as the like disaffected older brother. Um, I think that he's really great in this movie. Like like I was not expecting that because I've only seen him in the OC and that one episode of new girl where he plays jess's ex oh yeah um, that, he was great in that episode right so like this is completely like not what i'm used to him being mm-hmm. and i really liked it and uh i really liked his performance and samara weaving is like every time she was on screen i was like she was great she was like a, she is a star she's going to get more movies at from this mm. but yeah like i was saying like i think fundamentally the, this bridge that i can't cross is like somewhere like I, I i'm not you guys crossed a bridge that i can't cross which yeah. is fine interesting i feel like i mean i don't want to disagree with you or anything but i feel like it's a movie that isn't doesn't have that that wall necessarily for like non-horror fans because i feel like it's almost similar to cabin in the woods or even Shaun of the dead and that it has that broad appeal because of the humor and because like it is you know at its very base a um horror premise but I feel like the way that it approaches it is just like so so comedic and so zany that it works but maybe it's because I've been so embedded in the in the the genre lately so I'm like not able to see your perspective anymore that's the thing is I from from my perspective from my point of view the Jedi are evil so from my point of view I can't see the zaniness of Mm -hmm. it but I do see I mean I do see like the when the family gets really like involved in the hide and seek when it gets all when that when the second act kicks in like i can definitely see the like quote unquote zany elements um and like the way that like the dad going kind of like going from serious to kind of like all out that Mm. was like a fun a fun thing to watch um but yeah no like i mean like i think we're on the same like i don't want to disagree with you because like i'm also like i I've also not seen as many horror films as you guys yeah. have anymore at this point. So you guys probably saw more references and more like homages and Easter eggs and all that, that I didn't catch, even though I, well, I like, 
Like I could but, see the basic structure of a horror film from well, this film. Yeah, the you thing know, is, I, I, I like, didn't I didn't see it as like homages. A lot of the things that I recognized in it weren't homages to horror films. I saw things like Clue, like Hitchcockian suspenses, like yeah. uh, The Lifeboat, and I saw things like Heather's and Buffy the Vampire Slayer because there is that level of like high camp in there, even at the beginning when it's more serious, yeah. because everything is just so designed and stylized, and everyone is acting so like over the top sinister in a way that's just like really funny. I mean, Aunt Helene. She's so funny. Like the moment she appears on screen and just like looks like a little goblin in her I real, know. just like grimace it was I, as soon as i saw her on screen i, I love burst out laughing. i love her <laughs> um yeah. well real quick let me we'll get to your reaction to my reaction to ht because i think people probably can guess that you and i love this film mm-hmm. um but willoughby i just want to ask you real quick you think this is a good film but you wouldn't watch it again why violence okay mm. so i think there was there was so I mean, like, without going too much into spoilers, like, I I think that I don't like watching violence on screen, especially, like, I know this, it was hyper, it's very hyper-stylized, and I could watch all the John Wick movies and with, like, no problem, but I think it's the gore and the blood. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, okay. all that and, like, like the body horror that, that comes into it, and, uh, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, I think, I, I don't, I don't want to watch that again. Um, whereas, I, I'd say, like, with Shaun of the Dead, it's zombies. It's, they're not real people. Like I could watch Sean. I can watch Sean uh, take a baseball bat to them, and sort of like not feel anything because they're like undead zombies. Like they're already dead, sort of deal. Um, and with Cabin in the Woods, like there's this whole other element going on that like engrossed me in the film that I mm. that you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I don't want to talk about it. There, there's a sci-fi element to it. I think Whereas, the, gore, the gore level in Cabin in the Woods, though, was pretty equal to what we saw in Ready or Not. True, but Ready or Not, I mean, get, uh, Cabin in the Woods just has, like, this whole mythology thing that's going mm-hmm. on that, like, co- sort of all, like, is able to capture my attention without focusing on the violence. Okay. Um, which is also, could be part of the point of Cabin in the Woods. Um, uh, and with Get Out, a lot of the violence happens really at the end and it's like real it's like the last 10 minutes is the most violent it gets um and like that's a, that's that's that was like it was it was just it was like worth it for that part because it was there was also like a story element and like there's a story element in here too and you know it's about her survival and whatnot but like to but there were just parts of it where i'm just like cringing in my seat because i don't want to see what i'm seeing on the screen mm. and that's that's me that's that's totally on me like what what i think here's it's a compliment because the the filmmakers did such a good job at making it so i'm for for making me so grossed out at it that and so reactionary to it that they did a good job like they 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 elicited the the correct emotion out of me Mm. so and so i'm praising the film for that but also saying i don't want to watch that again does that make any sense yeah it makes sense Sorry to pick your brain, Willoughby. We're just like, oh, no, no it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a good brain to pick. Mm-hmm. I'm weird. I'm like Jugheads. Like, <laughs> um, so I know, like, I, I, can't I, mean, I definitely, I, you know, I'm weird. I wear a stupid, I wear a hat with crowns. Um, <laughs> 
no, I, I definitely, I, I, I welcome these questions because I'm also interrogating myself. Mm. Why am I not a horror fan? And these, like, these are the, like, you guys were not horror fans and now you are horror fans. And so like, you guys were able to cross a Rubicon that I have not yet. I'm doing a lot of good metaphors tonight, guys. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So like, I don't know. It's, it's just me. It's a personal preference, but you know, as someone who has studied film and who has watched a lot of films, including some horror films, like I can see why people who are horror fans like the film a lot and have given it good praise. And like, you know, all, all respect is, is due towards the filmmakers here. Um, they did a good job at making me realize that I'm just, I don't think I'm going to be a horror fan. Right. Even though this, oh, I wouldn't sorry. say this is make or break. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is make or break. Because like I definitely I definitely want to watch The Witch, and like see other films similar to that. But like, I don't know. I think Ready or Not and like the more hyper violent, gory films. Even though there's like a there's a stylization here to the film that I really appreciate. I can't get into it mm. as a fan. I think that's I think that's totally fair. I mean, we're all we all have our own limits, boundaries, likes, dislikes. Um, I think it's interesting, especially on the topic of violence, just because of the way cinema specifically approaches violence and how violence is like so much more acceptable than you know things like sex and whatnot in movies. Um, and so it is really interesting to see like the way we approach violence. Mm. Um, because, like, for me, you know, my I still have a boundary with when it comes to, like, torture porn horror films. Anything that is kind of gruesome and violent towards people who don't deserve it or, you know, it's very gratuitous um, or just that kind of feels misanthropic uh, in its nature. Um, and that's the kind of violence I refuse to indulge. Um, but I love violence, like, in Ready or Not. I think, like, stylized, hyper, like, ridiculous violence is a fun, especially when it's, like, at the expense of, like, wealthy white people. Like, I love watching wealthy white people die. It's yeah. great. It's so much fun. Um, you know, it's why I've become a fan of, like, the Purge franchise or something. Um, and so it is interesting, though, on that note of violence. Um, I also want but, to add something, too. Yeah, because, yeah, we should do our reaction yeah, real quick and then well, dive in into Well, in it. terms of just, like, the violence topic. Because um, I, myself, am, like, still a really squeamish person despite, quote-unquote, liking horror movies. And the parts that Willoughby were talking about, the very violent parts, I have to, like, look away from, too. Because I, you know, I might like horror movies now, but I don't, I can't stand watching the violence, like, a lot either um and for me it's that's why like horror actually isn't about violence it is about like what that violence begets and um so I think that is um why I've come to like come around to horror with 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 that realization um although I think uh even despite like having some moments where I had to look away and ready or not I still really enjoyed the film and still somewhat enjoyed those those moments because it like leads into it really well and um the build-up and then the payoff of those moments are just really satisfying the especially one part later on with uh, her hand that we'll get into spoilers was something that was just like so built up in a way that like the camera is like very obvious about where it's gonna go and you're like oh I'm dreading this but it's like it's kind of weird it's like a, almost it's so like obvious that it's almost camp in in that way 
and I think that camp plays a lot into this this film uh, which we'll get into but um Anya I want to ask you uh what your reactions are because I kind of gave my reactions last episode and um please tell us what you thought of Ready or Not I love this film I want to see it again instantly I want to do double features of it and your next all the time um not it the horror movie it ready or not and your next <laughs> okay i thought that <laughs> i thought you were like wildly oh, different strange films. Yeah. i know that i want to do double features of your next and ready or not because they are very similar movies um similar settings and similar-ish premises um i i thought this movie was a riot i thought it was so much fun i like couldn't stop laughing um I loved, I, I really liked the violence in this film, um, but again, I really like the stylized violence. That's why, that's part of why I'm a big Tarantino fan. Um, and again, I just thought Samara Weaving was incredible. Um, I had seen her before in a brief stint on Ash vs. Evil Dead, um, and I love her. I think she is so magnetic and charming and electric as a performer, and so I just cannot wait to see what else she does. I know she has... She's up in, she's in the new Bill and Ted movie coming up. She's in a new movie with Daniel Radcliffe coming up. So I'm just really excited to see where she goes. Um, but I just thought it was so much fun. And again, I will never, ever, ever say no to movies where wealthy white people die. Yep. Fucking I mean, rich yeah, people, as rich. I say in the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So um, I loved it. So let's jump in to our you know, spoilery discussion of the movie and further details about it. Um, and I think we should start um, with the plot, because I think, you know, that's kind of important. That's obviously, it's important. Um, so like I said, so Samara Weaving's character, Grace, marries into this um, game Dominion family. Um, and her husband, Alex, Daniel, Alex, which one's it? Uh, Alex. Alex. Yes, yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner. Um, you know, tells her, My family has this dumb tradition where we play a game like when we welcome someone new into the family. I don't think it's that dumb if your family made your wealth off games. I think it actually kind of makes sense as you know, and if, if the devil were not involved, I would think it would be rather cute. Um, but I am a person who loves games. Um, and she pulls the one card she's not supposed to pull, which is hide and seek. And we learn quickly that hide and seek means she hides and the rest of the family must seek her and kill her before dawn lest they die themselves um due to a pact made with the devil by one of their ancestors so good move on his part yeah i know i mean as as the father as the patriarch says you know like why couldn't he have like come up with a better contract with the devil like this really screws us over <laughs> um so That's good. What do you guys think about this just as a general premise for a horror movie? I think it's a solid premise. Um, I think the twist of the the pact with the devil is really fun. I liked uh, that for most of the movie, you're left guessing as to whether this pact was real or not. And uh, they don't they do it in a way that really plays into the comedy of the movie. Like you have that supporting character who is one of the brothers-in-laws of the family and he's the entire time saying like, this is bullshit, this is bullshit. And uh, Googling things like, are packs oh. with the devil real? Can we, when we get into characters, we have to talk about Fitch. Oh, Fitch. okay. He's my favorite. He was my favorite. I thought he would be. I loved him. He was great. How Fitch to use good. a crossbow. <laughs> that was good. Those- 
he he brought the most like amount of comic relief to it um and like i appreciated him who that actor is he reminds me a little bit of oh who's this actor he was in uh beetlejuice he's like the the that actor was like the architect or like the interior designer of the of the house in beetlejuice but he but like he gave off like vibes like that but i can't and he looks like him too i can't remember the actor's name um uh but we are um, currently looking it up to find out (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm gonna let me vamp for a little bit yeah no no, this this movie the, the the plot of it is solid like it's like it's it is written down to its bare bones like you pull you pull a card and you play a game and it turns out she played the wrong card mm-hmm. and the actor is named glenn shaddix the one you're talking about in beetlejuice yeah but yeah it's a it's a very simple premise but it's very effective in the way that it um just like it's you know a survival movie and that's what really works for me because it's all that makes it all about Grace and her survival. And um, there is this really great article on SlashFilm.com, not written by me, talking about the influences of classic Hollywood films into in Ready or Not. And it talks about the um, the hunted woman, or like the, the almost like the uh, uh, not the hunted woman, like the sort of disgrace women in some way and compares grace's character to characters like um ones in gaslight or in um the alfred hitchcock movie with that i can't remember and i'm going to look up this article now anya what did you think of the plot i thought it was um a lot of fun i i'm just gonna keep calling this movie fun because that's like the number one word i keep going back to um I, I love how ridiculous it is. I love, um, you know, I love seeing this family. Like, I really liked it with the idea that, like, you know, America, America has this, like, whole idealistic relationship with the idea of being, like, self-made and, like, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff. And that this family, like, did not create their wealth and their dominion through their own like hard work and integrity but instead because they made a deal with the devil and i'm like mr cool. labelle yeah mr labelle and so i'm like cool so these wealthy people are just awful and um like in more ways than one and it just doubles down on that um but i think it's really fun i think that you know i i think <clears throat> most of the most of what I enjoyed of this film, you know, beyond the humor and the ridiculous kind of horror movie that it was, were the themes and characters, which we'll get into next, because um, I thought there was actually, like, a, an emotional and moral through line in the film I wasn't expecting. Mm. Um, but I thought the general premise was really good. I Sometimes I feel like sim- simplicity is best. I agree with and, you. Yeah. Yeah, because it really just puts a bunch of people in a big house together, and it's like, they're all hunting this one person. Have at it. And I think it works really well in that case. And um, the article I'm talking about, by the way, is called is written by Kristen Lopez, and the woman in, the woman in the dark trope that I was speaking of uh, talks about uh, characters like Joan Fontaine's character in Suspicion, Ingrid Berman's character in Gaslight, um, and other characters such as that that are the 40s era thrillers so I think that that you can kind of feel that especially in the premise of of uh, ready or not which is like in that simplicity it's all about kind of this one woman and her survival and uh, I quite enjoyed that aspect of it it's like 
because Samara Weaving too is just so fantastic at her job and at, at, at this in this role that you can have her car- carry the entire movie on her shoulders. Yes, completely agreed. Um, so, yeah, she's so good mm-hmm. to watch. With that, do you want to get into characters and talk about Grace? Yeah, let's do it. I love Can Grace. Can I just say she's real good. quick, I love her. I love her snort when she laughs. <laughs> It's so cute. I love it. And I love that they do a a two beat of it or three beat because it comes up at the beginning and then like it comes up at least once in the end when she's like maniacal and feral and covered in blood in like the Carrie kind of way. And I love that it's so like true to her character both times. Yes, agreed. And it's just part of who she is. Mm-hmm. Um and I like that, you know, you know, they in the movie they give her like kind of like an emotional backstory, but it doesn't necessarily feel shoehorned because you find out that um, Grace grew up in foster care, and so she's never really had a sense of a permanent family, and so one of the reasons you know she wants to make a good impression on Alex's family is because you know as kooky as they might be on first impression, she wants them to be her family she is excited to join their family and be part of a family um and you learn that the other people who married into this family um perhaps had less noble intentions when they married into this family and you know do not have kind of the the earnestness that Mm. grace has about her and so you know i like that the movie is is with grace specifically her arc of like wanting to be accepted wanting to join this group but by the end, um, you know, sustaining herself independently and, you know, relying on only herself, really. That's an interesting observation because I feel like what you've just said makes it a, fi- a, a new twist on the final girl aspect. So yes. the final girl, for example, the trope is that she is the one who survives because she's pure usually because she's a virgin. Um, and in this case, obviously, Grace isn't a virgin because she's been dating this guy for a while and they talk very, they talk about their very intense, like, sexual relationship at the beginning of the movie. But what is pure about her is her intentions. And that's, like, what set her, sets her apart from both the the other in-laws who marry into the family and also the, um, the family themselves who, by nature of being, like, born into wealth and being rich and wanting to keep that wealth, uh, are, like, tainted um and i think inhaling satan that's always inhaling satan yeah and i think it's interesting that like they don't excuse even the children of this family either because they're the they're like you know at first you're like oh maybe they'll like they'll they'll uh spare them because they're children and inherently children are supposed to be pure but no the children are so warped because they've grown up in like this family and are so embedded in that that like they have no concept of right and wrong they think that like because everyone else is chasing grace they can kill her too it's all free for all like when um what's his name georgie in the goat in the goat yeah Yeah, georgie nice callback yeah uh uh, georgie's like hey she's over here like every time one of the characters you think will be spared says she's over here you know they're they're going to get uh killed or maimed in some way Mm -hmm. all the maids do it the kids do it at the end everyone's dead i just love that when one person (laughs) there's not one person who like i mean i guess adam brody ultimately helps her out Mm -hmm. but after Which we will like, get to because I want to so just so disaffected for most of the film because he is also one of these children that was brought up 
with this like crazy sinister family Mm -hmm. and like you see him at the beginning in the prologue where he's like you think that he'll help the husband or the new husband like hide and so that way he can't be sought um and he's like they're over here and you're just like oh shit this is a family of like sociopaths yeah and that's like basically the equivalent they're making to all rich people rich people are all sociopaths very simple uh, connection come at us with your money yeah. we would like your money uh, what I like about the Georgie scene is that like not only does he shoot her in the hand um, and then like I love that she punches him <laughs> in the face immediately it's so it's great it's so great it's so satisfying like you wouldn't normally enjoy seeing a woman punch a child punch a child in no, any like wouldn't. context but when she does it there's like a whoop in my audience everyone was like yeah punch that evil child hell and, yeah and, you know he gets praised by his mom later for like shooting her which is again like feeds into the whole like warped nature of this family like they can't be saved although there is yeah. one who can be saved who can be saved yeah daniel i love daniel um so i've been really comparing this movie to your next um which i for those who are curious i just want to like give a brief synopsis and like why i keep comparing these movies together um so basically what happens is um in your next there is an upper class family a wealthy upper class family and they're all kind of like estranged and they have a complicated relationship and an attempt to kind of like come back together and fix all their broken ties. Um, The matriarch and patriarch decide to celebrate their anniversary at this weekend estate. And they invite their four children and the children's significant others. Um, And uh, the newest um, significant other of the child of one of their children is kind of the final girl of the movie. And while they're staying at this estate, they suddenly get attacked by these crossbow wielding people in animal masks. And quickly it turns into twists and turns and you know they the family might know what's going on and um but the thing is with that movie it, it's so fun and it, it very similar in tone and violence to this movie but there is not really this kind of moral or emotional through line in your next like everyone is terrible in that film except for your final girl um and that's why i really appreciated in ready or not that we had a character like daniel because he provided this kind of like moral not right. a moral center, because that would be great. Ambiguity. But like, yeah, this like moral ambiguity that was really interesting. Um, because so the movie opens with a hide and seek game uh, decades ago with Aunt Helene's uh, intended, and you find out that when they were seeking her husband that night, um, a young Daniel and a young Alex were in the house, and Daniel hid Alex in a cupboard um, while he you know, revealed where the husband was hiding so they could kill him. So Daniel, throughout the movie, expresses contempt for this situation. And I think it's really interesting that Daniel hates it and wanted to protect his brother from it, but still participates. What yeah, do you guys like think about down. that? He's been beaten down over 30 years of, like, a fucked up family. And he can't do anything but drink his way out of it like he's so plastered throughout the entire film um but there are hints of him like ultimately you know siding with uh grace where like she shows up in the kitchen i believe or or some some room and he's there he like finds a a, 
the he's the other doorway in the room he walks in and gives her a 10 second head start which you know he could have just shot her and killed her or maimed her or whatever the maimed her because they need her alive for the sacrifice to satan um just want to point out there are hailing satan in this movie um and so he's like 10 seconds go and then kind of before the final before they actually capture her he's like almost telling you know giving her the, the, the t- time to run but then it ultimately is like him distracting her from i think her dad his dad his dad coming out to like knock her out but then ultimately his like sacrificial move is to uh like get her out um and he dies and then alex sees his death and uh starts hailing satan as well so i'm gonna talk about the grand tradition of gothic romances and gothic horror and That's I think not where I thought you were going with this. But okay. <laughs> well, I think this this might be a little bit of a deep reading, but this is where I think this kind of applies. Um, similar to Jane Eyre, um, how you see this sort of austere and beautiful depiction of wealth, um, but something is rotting underneath the surface, and that takes the form of the wife, the crazy wife in the attic. Um, in Ready or Not, you have this lavish wealth. And this you know, grand empire, but the uh, consequences of that wealth, the rotting underneath, kind of is all uh, focused, razor focused into Daniel. But rather than just being, you know, the crazy wife in the attic, he is given agency and he is given a, um, a conflict. He kind of becomes like the, other than like, grace who is trying to survive throughout this film he kind of becomes the other central conflict of the uh of the film and of the story so i think that like that's what makes him really interesting i feel like he's a callback like him and his family is almost a callback to those sort of gothic romances and that gothic horror and uh he's kind of like that next step in it i might be giving it too much credit but this is how i'm seeing it and i think that like that might be like a cool way of um giving his character other than just being like the typical uh you know hero who saves the woman and who saves the 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 protagonist you know he's not that straight forward straight laced kind of guy he has his own issues and those issues are a result of just like decades and generations of like family rot that are like steeping inside him so that's my like great analysis of daniel also i I love amber yeah, and the blood coming out of his mouth at the end is a manifestation of that rotting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I I think that's a really fun read on him, and I like that this was kind of movie like this movie is ridiculous and over the top, but that you can like find these readings in it, and you mm-hmm. can find these kind of explorations of the characters and their motivations. Um, I yeah, I just I felt very compelled by Daniel and his emotional arc. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, I think we saw that he's had this kind of moral center since he was a child. Mm-hmm. He's trying to but protect like his you said, brother. Right. But like you said, like it has kind of like seeped into him, but he recognizes, I think the thing is that he ultimately recognizes what it's done to him and like what it's done to his wife and his family and how it's kind of like, dragged all of them down and he recognizes that people like grace who are genuinely good people shouldn't have to you know 
live with this darkness either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I love the whole idea of like, I'm, I'm, I'm dark, but you don't have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very I mean, ironic. I'm just realizing now. It like, is, maybe he's it actually is. more Rochester than the wife, but maybe he's a combo of both. I think, I think he's a combo of both, but I think there's, I definitely kind of, I guess I would put him as Rochester and Alex as the wife, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that Daniel made the good, the right choice at the end. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he turned out to be a better ally for Grace than her own husband. Yep. Um, so and... let's talk about Alex and mm-hmm. that, that, that switch he has at the end. Yes. What did you guys think about that? Did you think it was done well? Do you think he genuinely did want to save Grace earlier in the film? What do you think of Alex's motivations and his arc? So I think that Alex um, is a woundly, is a like woundly tight, what am tightly I trying wound. to say? Tightly wounded, like, om- like always at, at the brink um and seeing his wife murder his mom and also see the death of his brother i think pushes him over the limit and have and he embraces that which he feared he would be his entire life because there's a there's like a moment it's very brief where like i think his mom and dad discussed like him seeing the devil as a child and they're like believing it because like this this family also believes in the devil and worships him um so like they like take that seriously but also they're like scared because none of them have seen the devil um mr labile um and so they they like don't they like want alex to be like in the family because he's like i guess special i don't know um but he also does but alex doesn't probably want to be that person because he saw the devil when he was a kid he's like fuck this noise i'm out um but ultimately like take gets a turn he takes a turn when he's when he sees like the death of his family members and like realizes that i don't know he's been a devil worshiper this entire time something along those lines i'm failing my 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 words are failing me, but like I, I see the progression. Like I don't think it was out of character, char- out of character. Ca- I can't speak tonight. I don't think it was out of character for him to suddenly then go, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my bride to Satan. I think it was a really well earned turn, um, and I think that I like the fact that it was a turn in his own sort of uh, way of thinking versus just him like faking it the entire time. And um, what I will say is that I think I like that the contrast between Alex and Daniel in that Alex was trying to run away from his family uh, versus Alex finally or Daniel, sorry, finally confronting it and confronting the family at the end. And I think that contrast is what sets them apart and what makes Alex finally the villain in the end. Um, It's kind of like uh, an ally who comes from a privileged background and purports to be an ally, but still won't acknowledge their privilege. And um, that privilege will always be with them, no matter how much they try to uh, reject it or run away with it. So I think that's where Alex's character is like so steeped in that. He's a character of privilege, and privilege being 
of Satan worshipping. And that... <laughs> of course, that's yeah, the only privilege that exactly. there is. <laughs> and that's why he's such almost like a, a relevant character, I feel like, because there are so many real-life people and real-life characters that um, are an Alex. Yeah, I think... I think right. right. I'm really adding a lot of analysis like, to that. I'm really happy I about love this. It. <laughs> it's great. It's different from, say, Allison Williams' character in Get Out, mm. where she was secretly on their side the entire time. Right. It's like a Whereas Alex, I think, I think Alex was on Grace's side right up until he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I do like it was uh, a turn that was motivated by Grace killing his mother. Uh, the one person in the family who he had like a real strong emotional connection to and who also uh, says throughout the movie like to Grace, you remind me of me, you remind me of me. I feel like it's in that like he has this ideal of his mother that he wanted to marry in Grace and when she literally kills that, that's when he makes his turn. Oedipus yeah oh my god my analysis is like off the charts right now <laughs> doing a good job tonight guys hey pat's on the back for us we're all um, doing we're all doing bonkers good tonight we are hell yeah we are great what about you Anya? Um, did the turn work for you the turn you know at first i wasn't 100 percent sure um and I don't know if this is a testament to the writing or the acting or me wanting to believe the best in people. Um, I think Alex genuinely loved Grace and genuinely was afraid of what was happening and did not want to see anything happen to her at first. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is actually the scene where he's talking to his mom while he's handcuffed to the bed. And they are talking about the situation they're in and that, you know, he says, like, if it came down to you like my family or Grace, I would choose Grace. And like, I believe that he believed that in that moment. I think he believed that he was wholly against this and was stronger than it and hated it and would choose Grace. And, you know, I think that, I don't know if I believed it, but I think he believed it. Um, and I think, I think really, um, you know, it comes down to watching someone, no matter what situation they're in, and what they've been put through, watching someone beat your mom's face in and murder her in front of your eyes, even if your mom was trying to murder her first, is kind of a traumatizing thing. <laughs> and, you know, I think that was enough to put Alex kind of over the edge. Um, and Right, because there's even a point where he goes, if I get out of here, I'm going to kill you or something. Or like, if anything happens to her, I'm going to kill you to his mother. He says that to his mother. Mm -hmm. right. And like, you think you, you believe him in that moment, like you said. And then when he does see his mother die, he loses it. Who yeah. Would? And I think, I think there's a fact, I think almost Daniel's intentions were, were good in protecting him. But at the same time, it almost created this sort of like, blinder situation for Alex and he like walked away from the family and so he he was sort of privileged with not being as aware of how dark things were even he he knew but he didn't have the same experience that Daniel had to mm -hmm. kind of steal himself for it um and I think I think ultimately Alex just kind of proved that he is someone who's weak mm -hmm. and someone who is susceptible and 
I think, I think because Daniel had seen all of it and because Daniel had grown up with it in a more explicit way than Alex, like he, I think that's why Daniel was able to turn on his family in a way that Alex wasn't. Yeah. I completely agree with that. You know, I, I do wonder, like, I think if, Alex had like if they if he had unlocked the house and like Grace had gotten out and he had gotten out and the plan had worked and there was like no movie if like he and Grace had gotten out and they ran away like I think Alex would have run away with her Mm -hmm. um whether or not Mr. LaBelle would have exploded him the next day or if Mr. LaBelle would have you know granted him some mercy and said like you did the right thing and you and Grace can now live but the rest of his family is dead I don't know what Mr. LaBelle would have done I think he would have exploded Um, him yeah which would have been hilarious who, who can say what the devil will do? Um, but, you know, I, I think I think he genuinely would have ran away with her. But I think as the night wore on, he wore down. And I think, you know, the shock of seeing his mother being brutally killed like that just snapped. Just like it switched something in him. Um, also, I want to say that I think Mr. LaBelle was rooting for Grace the whole time. Yeah, 100 percent. There's, there's He was the, totally on her side. There's the scene at the end where he like. Yeah shows up in the flames and nods at her and she's like it's amazing oh yeah that's true i remember that i was like i didn't know what that scene meant i'm like why did he show up in front of her i think it was because he was like yeah this family sucks kill him (laughs) yeah he's basically saying like i don't know they they fucked up by following me i don't know what to tell you (laughs) um but let's get through the rest of these characters a little bit more quickly because we're take we're going a little long here um but let's give a shout out to fitch bitch bitch don't be a bitch 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 don't i went to i went to a high school that's rival was fitch high school so i was like thrown back into high school i was like i haven't heard the name fitch in 10 years oh (laughs) jeez I like that Fitch um, was a character who seemed Fitch. just wholly, wholly uh, unprepared for this kind of situation. And it just made it even funnier. Um, like, just like all the bits. Like, he he was like the comedic, uh, you know, the comedic character. But he pulled it off so well. And he kind of was able to pull back almost from the, just the simple horror of this movie. And being like, this is ridiculous. Also, how do I use a crossbow? him and his wife the wife also uh i was was gonna say the wife the sister sister. she actually got some more laughs like Mm. well Fitch's wife but like she was a sister to like daniel and alex she was the actual member of the family um which i she got like the most laughs besides she got the most laughs out of me because she was hysterical also like i laughed so hard when she when she and fitch came in and aunt helene was like oh hello brown-haired niece Um, because like Anne Helene doesn't, she clearly has favorites in the family if they actually commit to their pact with the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought she was so funny, like the way she, she kept killing maids and taking coke and um, like <laughs> she was just a riot. Oh my god, she was hysterical. Yeah, I love that. I loved her. But yeah, one of yeah. my favorite beats in the movie was a Fitch beat, and it was the one where uh, Grace like jumps out the window and she lands with a thump. Oh, yeah outside of the window that he's just like chilling in um and like googling packs with the devil real and i just guffawed it was just the funniest thing and she like and you have like the little like uh like two level humor of her like looking through with the window and panicking when she sees him and then like running away and he's just like 
totally unaware. It's great. You almost forget you you forget for a moment that she just escaped the house. Yeah, you you're do. It's yeah. like you're 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 with Fitch, like also googling our packs with the devil real, <laughs> and you're and you see her just like I'm free now, and you're and I'm just like there's still like 45 minutes left in this movie. What's gonna happen? Yeah, but yeah, they were great. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Andy McDowell who uh becky who played becky the mom of uh of alex and daniel and she was like that perfect balance between both sinister and sympathetic because you believe for a lot of the time that she really hates this whole thing like she also married into the family but at the same time she's so ruthless in like wanting to and like going through with it too even more so than her sons and uh it's like she's great and i feel like she's like a nice little quiet role and i i really liked her in there and i i thought it was really funny that she was always like to grace you're like me but also i'm gonna kill you so um i really liked her and um also charity uh uh daniel's wife wife yes uh i th- think it's really interesting because charity plays so much like a person who was long part of the family so that it's almost a surprise to learn that she married in uh, because she really wants to be a uh, part of that family. She doesn't. She loves that wealth. She loves being part of that life. And um, it's hinted that she came from a really terrible life before but never really explained. And I like that kind of mystery around her but you don't really need to know anymore other than that like she, she will do anything right. and will kill anyone to stay in the, the comfort that she's in. And I like because it like she she presents kind of the antithesis of what Grace is mm-hmm. in that they both came from hard backgrounds, um, but they both have had very different intentions when it came to marrying into this family, um, and you know who they are at their at their centers and kind of how their hardships shaped them. You know, it kind of it hardened um, Charity, but made Grace kind of more empathetic and resilient as a person. Um, and as Daniel says at the beginning of the movie um charity comments that grace might not fit in with the family and daniel says of course not dear she has a soul <laughs> it's great i love how wry and just like sarcastic he was the entire time just daniel's great love daniel love our ironic yeah. heroes <laughs> who are actually not the heroes because grace is and she's awesome um, I also want to give a shout out to Grace again and her like almost callbacks to classic uh, horror but also black comedy heroines like Veronica Sawyer in Heathers. I got so many vibes of her from that, especially in her final line um, when she's smoking on the steps and like she looks like she came from hell and it's like in-laws to the firefighters and everything. And, um, and it's just like she feels very buffy in her like – uh, pluckiness and uh, resilience, and um, you know the carry of it all, the, the aesthetic. When she goes, I want a divorce at the very end, right before he explodes. That was like probably the best moment for me in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, that's a good line, and that's also a good moment where she's just like so fucking done with everything. <laughs> Um, but let's go into the themes of this movie, which we touched on a little bit um, with my, like, can I say, just a killer analysis, killer comparison to, like, the gothic romances and everything. But uh, Anya, what about... Um, what... You really murdered it. <laughs> I really murdered it. Um, do you, what are, what are there, like, themes and, like, uh, you know, things that like, can you find in this movie? Um, 
Oh, trying to get a new one on the top of my head. I think, you know, I just keep coming back to um, the idea of what, of what trauma, of what darkness and, you know, what, um, you know, like murder or other despicable acts like does to a person, you know, how it shaped Daniel and Alex respectively versus like I was just talking about like the hard childhoods, both charity and grace faced. Um, and the fact that their names are charity mm-hmm. and grace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and that they both came out, you know, from their hardships as very different people. Um, and so I think it's just the idea of the fact that this sort of darkness in the world can affect people in so many different ways. Um, and that Alex, you know, it's, it's interesting because for me, it's like Alex is awful and I hate him, but I also don't mm-hmm. like I had, there is some sympathy I have there um, in being born into this family and being handed a fate you didn't ask for. Um, and you know what that does to you, you know I mean? Like we see Daniel's become an alcoholic and you know, it's like, I, I can't imagine you know, being born to a family that's made a pact with the devil and suddenly like that is the life you're tied to and you don't really get a say in it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you think you do, you don't. And just kind of the idea of what, you know, just circumstances do to people and, you know, the control we have over our own lives. Um, I still right. think Alex just is like- the worst and I'm glad Grace divorced him before he exploded or said she wanted a divorce and she's way better than him and Grace is the best. But... I think there's still an interesting examination there of circumstance, trauma, you know, manipulation um, and how it affects a person um, and, you know, the idea of choice in life. Like, like we kind of laughed it off because it's, it's really funny, but like the sister is coked up the entire night. Like she's also like, she also has a substance abuse problem, just like Daniel. Like there's like, these, these these kids are dealing with some terrible shit in their own ways and like Alex's way was trying to run away um, I think and ultimately he also fell he also relapsed hmm. yeah there was a tweet I really liked after I saw this movie that said that Ready or Not is a movie completely without subtext it's all in the text but I think through this episode we found that there is you know deeper layers and deeper meanings to be found in Ready or Not, whether it's intentional or not. But I think it still really works on that surface level of being about, like, fuck the rich. And um, just being a really fun, like, brutal, bloody thrill ride and with all these homages to Clue and all ensemble movies like that. But um, I like that we can dig deeper into this movie and find more things about it. And I want to go back to the final girl, uh, the kind of final girl that... um, Samara Weaving's Grace presents at the end she kind of becomes pretty unsympathetic because she commits murder in cold blood of um, Alex's mother of Annie McDowell and it's, she doesn't have to you know kill her she hits her on the head with the box and like that one hit knocking her out would have been satisfactory but she bashes her head in until it's just like a mess a bloody mess right. and um, despite that we still really root for her and we love I love when she's just completely feral completely like primal and at the end just like lights a cigarette and was like 
I'm awesome. I'm done with it. There's another part where she, where she sees herself in the mirror with the gun and the ammo and is like, whoa, and is definitely admiring herself. I, I just love this kind of final girl that is just like really unapologetic about what she does and where she fits in life. And um, I uh, that's what I really liked about this movie. Just like tomorrow weaving. Amazing. And yeah, that it can be enjoyed on that surface level, but also on a deeper level if you choose it to be. I was going to say, like, you don't have to do this deeper reading that we've done. I think we just like to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this movie has a lot to offer and a lot to enjoy without kind of getting into moral questions that we've been asking and discussing in this episode. Um, but it's fun that they are also present and that this movie can exist kind of at multiple intersections and multiple layers of enjoyment. Yeah. Can you tell that we went to film school? <laughs> what? <laughs> We took we went film where? class. Um, but uh, with that, let's wrap up our discussion of Ready or Not and give it a rating out of five stars. Uh, Anya, what would you give it out of five stars? I'm honestly trying to think if I can like think of anything that would knock it down to like a four or four point five mm. from five. Um, because, you know, it's not like a phenomenal film that's going to stay with me forever that's, like, profound and life-changing. But for what it is, I'm wondering if I can... Is I this a Paddington I... situation? Can you yeah. find anything wrong right, with it? Right, right. Think, I think I am going to ultimately give it a 4.5 out of 5, only because I think one place that I would have liked to have seen uh, written with more... Uh, context or depth I guess is the mythology and sort of the exposition and context of the family and Mm. their history um, which I don't think necessarily needed to be there for the film to work but would have added more and would have made it a little bit richer Um, so I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 for that reason All right, Willoughby how many stars would you give Ready or not, out of five. So I'm divorcing myself from the fact that I'm not a horror fan because I think that's unfair to the film. Um, I like I w- I don't want to give it like a low score because I'm just not a fan of horror. So I will say I'll give it a four out of five because I do think, along with what Anya was saying, where the, the mythology wasn't super fleshed out, even it was like bare bones, which I, which is fine for what the film is trying to do, but I do wish sort of had a little bit more going on with it. A little bit more, like, yeah, like kind of, like more, because they, they reference like another family burning up, and I'm mm-hmm. like, what's that about? Um, so there's that. But I also think the, the action, some of the action was like the handheldness of it all could have been a little bit less, could have been a little bit more smoother. Mm-hmm. I'd say like shaky cam is not my fan, especially in a big theater. Um, and I was kind of sitting a little close. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, but so if it was a little less shaky cam and maybe a little bit more expanded upon, I think it would be good. So I'll give it a four out of five. All right. Don't hate me, Anya. I'm giving it a four out of five, too. That's totally fine. I realize I'm a bit um, uh, generous here. I liked it a lot. I think it it works so well as just like a really fun, really simple horror film. And like on that premise, I do think like my readings are maybe giving it more credit than it's due. uh, Because it's like it it definitely is just like a film that is is what it is 
purports to be. And I think that's fine. And I think that's a four out of five, uh, which is still a really high rating. So overall, the Millennial Falcon gives Ready or Not 4.2 out of five stars. Pretty good. That's a fair. All right. Fair. Yeah. Great, I Let, think. Let's uh, move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Willoughby, since Anya and I have been kind of talking this entire episode, what's your really like this week? You start us off. Well, there's a little film franchise uh, airing its 11th film, uh, 9th, you would say, uh, in a series of episodes. And on Monday, technically Sunday, Saturday, but Monday for the internet, they dropped a D23 special look Star Wars colon the rise of Skywalker. And let me tell you folks, there was only about a minute of new footage because most of it was footage from the past eight episodes of Star Wars. Um and let me tell you, I am so hyped for this movie. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. C3PO finally gets to smoke some weed mm-hmm. and we get to see uh race ray uh from jack who uh uh kind of maybe possibly uh, dive a little deep into the dark who knows what it could be a vision could be a clone could be a possession possession who knows we don't know but there's one there's like one image of ray that basically like and on the 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 world the internet um and uh but there's also a shot of like 400 star destroyers coming from wild space entering the, the uh from out of out of frame there's a bunch of like x-wings and tantive fours are not tantive four uh what are they called oh shit corellian uh oh, oh, oh i know the word i know the word uh not corellian cruiser oh, no. uh, i used to know this because they fight i fight i bought fought them all the time in uh battlefront star wars battlefront i know that they're corellian made Either way, they're really cool. That's what the Tantive Four is. It's the one where it's like look, it's like all spindly and then like six hundred engines at the end. And there you got we got your your rays, your fins, your pose. We haven't seen a lot of rows yet. We saw some of our boy Ben Solo, Kyle Ron, um, and oh gosh, gosh, guys, this movie is going to be the end of everything. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. And even though they've only released maybe about, I don't know, three minutes of new footage, like all together since they released the, the first tra- teaser trailer back in April at celebration, like everything is just so cool. I'm so excited. I've never seen JJ Abrams finish anything in his life. So I'm really like intrigued and to see how does he uh, wrap up this mystery box um yeah no star wars it's great guys it's great it's so good and i I don't know it star wars means a lot to me so it's really cool to see them be like the end of a legend and i'm like oh gosh (laughs) i'm so happy i'm so happy for you so happy too i just i you guys can't see me obviously but i was just grinning the whole time we'll be with talking now because i love when my friends and the things they love are good and make them happy yeah Hey, can you imagine if Colin Trevorrow was still filming episode nine? What the fuck? I would do even. 
there's a there's a timeline somewhere where that's happening still would that be the darkest timeline then i can't imagine how it's worse than this timeline i think think our our, the irony of it would be the 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 universe where hillary won the election oh god oh no damned if we do damned if we don't (laughs) let's not think about it because then i'll just get sad yeah same all right anya heart crushing yeah Anya, what's your really like for this week? Um, well, quick side note, I just want to say to everyone listening <clears throat> that I don't really like, but I love Kendall Roy on Succession. And if you say one bad word against him, slander his name in any way, I will see you with Don for a duel. Would you say he's baby? He is baby. Kendall Roy is baby. Um, End of podcast. Done. We cannot. We peaked. Um, No, that's just a little shout out to uh, Willoughby and Josh and their slanderous words about Kendall Roy. What What slander? I just, Mm. I don't understand it. All right. Well, more so Josh than Willoughby, but Willoughby's still not on the Kendall train with me, so... You know, we're and at a, we're at a bit of an impasse. We, this is something we were talking about we're before the down. podcast. Um, basically, Willoughby refuses to call Kendall down. Roy baby. He can't call him baby, and he also doesn't understand why I love him so much. And I just, I I'm in a bit of a succession spiral. Kendall is my baby. Shiv is my hero. Um, you know, I was gonna bring up a genuinely really like about how progressive and amazing poses and that it's a miracle that show exists but now i'm just in this like roy family like i cannot get out of like they're like tunnel vision <laughs> i'm like all i see are the roys <laughs> and how much i hate and love them and that succession is the greatest tv show i'm watching right now and i'm obsessed with it and i've been obsessed with this since season one me and karen han were the only people who were watching it um and we finally got you all on our side took a while but you're here um, and succession, succession, succession is just my favorite thing right now. I love it so much. I changed my Twitter, like header Did photo. You? Oh, I'm like, I'm like in succession. I'm would you in say? Me. Would you say that you're a Kendall Stan? Do you oh. stand Kendall? Do I Do stand Kendall Roy? I feel like I probably stand Shiv more, like Stan. Um, I don't know if I stand Kendall because he's made some poor decisions, but I just want to like kind of like put him on my wait, couch. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, what's this? A negative thought towards Kendall Roy? Huh? Um, it is not I, negative I, to I, acknowledge I, that people have made mistakes in their lives. It is just a reality. But what I'm saying is that Kendall has made some mistakes and right now he needs to be shown compassion and love. And I just want to put him on my couch and drape a blanket over him and give him some hot chocolate so you would say that Kendall is your dumb son and Shiv is like your wife, basically. Yes. Except that I Kendall also except that I also am attracted to Kendall, so it's like he's my son and my like messed up boyfriend all at the same time. Oh, what a twist. This but is... Shiv but Shiv is definitely that. But Shiv is definitely my wife who I just like I want her to step on me and like take over the company. I just, guys, I have so many succession feelings. I love this show so much. I'm a mess. I'm like, I'm a mess just like the Roys. <sighs> Remember that time that Tom called a hand job a handy job? <laughs> guys, I, lo- I hey, love this we, show. Can we appreciate 
can we appreciate Matthew McFadian, which apparently I've been sp- saying his name wrong all this That's entire how you time. say his last name? It's not Matthew yeah, McFadian? Is, it's Matthew McFadian. Look where the Y is placed. Wow. No, have no, we been... no. Wait, no, 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 hold on. I know the Y is placed there, but I don't think you still, I don't think you pronounce, I think it's still Matthew McFadden. It's not Matthew, Matthew McFadian? Matthew McFadden. We need to, we, hold on, I'm going to pull up an interview. I need to pull up like an interview with him where someone says his last name, that this is how you learn people's last names. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, think about like Donal. Like, it's, you right. know, like there's an M and British an H names in there, are but weird. you don't pronounce them. British names are weird. British people are weird. Um, says Willoughby I, Barrett I, Dobbs the fourth. True blue American. What <laughs> can I tell you? Um, no, I mean, yeah, I do have four silent letters in my first name. What can I tell you? Um, and But uh, I just want to shout out that guy for playing uh, Broody McBroody Boy in Pride and Prejudice 2005 and playing the opposite of that in uh, uh, Succession as, like, just, like, at first goofy and then you realize like that he's like dangerous and you know punches down he's like middle management but but also he's like every every word out of his mouth i'm like like half laughing at because of his delivery like matthew like matthew mcfagin is such a good actor um i've only seen him ever do like broody pieces so it's really fun to see him like kind of like be a little bit more lively well, you could he argue is. that his Mr. Darcy is a dork, too. He's a big old dork. Mr. Darcy is a dork, but in in a way that, like, he's endearing and, like, lovable. Tom is a sleaze. Ah. I right. need to get... He's a sleaze. Whereas, whereas, whereas uh, Mr. Darcy, like, he, like, I guess maybe it's because I've only seen... I've never really seen Pride and Prejudice. I've only seen, like, the first 45 minutes of it. Um, but, like, every image I see of him... It, he's always like kind of got this like stone face on he's, he's smoldering like, i could always I could just i could just imagine him here him going like elizabeth <laughs> that's exactly what he says <laughs> yeah so, so i'm like, just gonna say i just watched the beginning of an la times interview with him and she said matthew mcfadian well, and if right. this is true i does he correct her uh, no but I don't know, like, maybe he, I don't, I, he did not in this video. Because, like, on the most recent, like, all the podcasts I've been listening to have, that have been talking about Succession, they've been calling, they've been calling, saying his name Matthew McFadden. Or God, I've been, like, like, saying Matthew McFadden, like, this whole time. I've been, like, McFadden, like, the Y just, like, right. had, like, a. Right, no, oh. like, my, the town I come, the town I come from is Ledyard, is Ledyard, but it's pronounced, it looks like Ledyard. Like, I totally get that, but I'm like, I've heard it enough times in the past week or so that I'm like, I guess that's McFadian or McFadian. McFadian. Oh my god. Is... McFadian. All right, let's wrap up this up. McFadian scandal. No, we have to go another 40 minutes. Can't do this. My really like this week is The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, because it's out on Netflix now. I raved about the pilot couple weeks ago, a month ago, back when I saw it at Comic-Con. It's excellent. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, talented. Breathtaking. Heart-stopping. All of those adjectives. I love it. Watch it. Go see it. Um, I have to head to a dinner reservation now, so... Um, yeah. Dark Crystal. Age of Resistance. So good. Uh, 
real quick question for people who did not grow up with Dark Crystal or watching, you know, knowing this franchise and this IP and stuff, um, can they go into it blind? Do you think it, it is a, a welcome thing for new fans? I will say you could go into it blind because I saw the original to watch to like brush up on it, but um, it does a really good job of introducing you to the world. I think even better so than the original because um, the original just kind of plops you in, and this does that in a sense, but does like a little bit more of the world building and like the the uh, myth- mythology building so and it's just so well done despite having a big ensemble that it juggles it's all really seamless and the technology is just beautiful it's some of the most beautiful production design in a fantasy series that i've seen in recent memory it's gorgeous um and yeah That's it's puppets but you believe it you know you're like oh it's these pup- are people or these are characters they're all characters. excited it's puppets it's puppets yay yeah all right. Um, well, so HD can get um, off to our dinner reservation. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. If you guys want to come chat with us about anything we've talked about in this episode, um, including if you've seen Ready or Not, or uh, how you feel about that rise of Skywalker sneak peek from D23, or if you have been watching Succession or Dark, A- or Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, come chat with us about all those things and more. Where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, subscribe, and listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.